This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. Starting in verse, or chapter 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me a son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son, and said, Now, this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son, and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children, or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld you from the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant, Billa. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant, Billa, as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Billa conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me, and he, he also, and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant, Billah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. When Leah's servant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son, then Leah's servant uh, bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went out and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, that he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have hired you for my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowance. Now my husband will honor me because I, have become, because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Amen. Good morning, Antioch, those who are present, those who are online. And let me thank Brent and the worship team for leading us in the worship. I'll add my um, 
praise to my son Micah also for his word this morning. And this is a word that every, not just every man I think would benefit from, but every woman as well. Basically, it's a word on why we should not be running alone and why we need close companions who will walk with us. Is this, is this on now? <laughs> I think I just heard myself. There you go. If you don't have a close companion in this church, if you say, well, my closest friends are outside of Antioch, um, you're missing out, you know? Make that, a, make that a priority in 2023 or even before. So there are all kinds of wars, right? There's all kinds of reasons for war. You've heard of gang wars. You've heard of world wars. We even heard of religious wars. But have you ever heard of birthing wars? Yeah, where two women are competing with one another to see who can have the most babies. Well, that's what we find here in the Old Testament, this Old Testament soap opera. This, you can't make this stuff up. This is an Old Testament soap opera. And you really can't know the players without a scorecard. We need a scorecard with us just to keep track of who's who and who belongs to whom. But the two team leaders are Rachel and Leah. You got team Rachel over here and you got team Leah over here. And it's neck and neck. Actually, it's not. It's a blowout, at least for a while. Not only are they competing for babies, what are they competing for? The affection of their husband. So sad, an argument against polygamy. If I've ever seen one, this is it. You don't need more than one wife. You don't need more than one husband. And we know that Jacob loved Rachel. That's, that's clear in the scriptures. He worked seven years to get her. Then he was tricked for years. And so his affection, his heart was for Rachel, not for Leah. And we know that from today's text, not only is Leah not preferred by Jacob, she's what? Hated. When God saw that Leah was hated by, J by Jacob, that was a real thing. So clearly, Rachel's way out ahead in the love competition. But the birthing competition, Rachel's not even on a scoreboard for years it's a blowout. It's four to zero, and then it'll be six to zero, and then seven to zero if you count Dinah, which we do, of course, before Rachel ever has her first baby. So I think there's a lot we can learn from this passage today about marriage, about contentment, about trust, about who our source is, whether it's our spouse or someone else. Let's look at it under these three main points, God's plan, man's efforts, and God's blessings. First of all, through the naming of Leah's first four sons with Jacob, we see her heart and we see her pain. Right? You see that? Did you hear that? Did you recognize that when Matt was reading? But we also see God's plan. God saw that Leah was hated, so he opened her womb and he allowed her to have children, one of whom will be the one to continue the Abrahamic blessing. One of whom from whom the Messiah will come. But Leah didn't see that at first. All she saw was a husband who did not love her. I like what Derek Kidner wrote, and I just add what Alan Ross wrote too. I just made it one sentence here. Derek Kidner says, On the human plane, the story demonstrates the craving of human beings for love and recognition. We all have it. Which often leads people down dangerous paths. Unrequited love, lack of recognition, or complete disregard is difficult to endure. True for them? True for us, right? One of the, one of the worst things a, a child can suffer is not, not necessarily a father's hatred, but a father's indifference. I think that's worse. 
Indifference is colder and more stark. And it drives people into desperate measures sometimes. So Leah named her first son Reuben. It sounds like the Hebrew word for affliction because she says, God has seen my affliction and he's given me a son. But look what she sees next. For now, my husband will love me. I've given him a son. And because I've given him a son, my husband will love me. Leah's suffering is palpable here, but what makes it sadder is that her certainty that her husband will now love her is what? It's conditional. And that's not all on her. Jacob plays a huge part in that, doesn't he? He's guilty. She's suffering. So Leah says, he'll love me now because of what I've done for him, what I've given to him. Isn't that the way a lot of us come into marriage? Right? We come into marriage thinking... My husband will love me or my wife will love me because I'm going to I'm going to come up with a list of the things I'm going to do to make sure that I get that love from my husband or that I get that love from my wife. Larry Crabb, the counselor, used to say that marriage a lot of times is like two ticks looking for a dog. As long as we have that if then clause in our marriage. It will fall short of what God intends for it to be. I mean, it should be, I love my wife, period. Why? Because God loves the church. In fact, I'm to love my wife as Christ loves the church, which was perfectly, can I do it perfectly? Everybody said, no way. But it was also unconditional. Can I love my wife unconditionally? All of the men said, yes. You can. You're not going to do it perfectly, but you can, you can learn to love your, your wife without conditions. Oh, I love you a lot tonight, honey. That was a great meal. I loved you tonight. You gave me what I wanted. And it's the same with a, a wife. Can a wife love her husband like the church loves Christ? Yes, and the church is supposed to love Christ without conditions. We don't love Christ if we get that job promotion we wanted or if we get to buy that house we think we need, we love Christ unconditionally. And that's what a wife deserves from a husband. That's what a husband deserves from a wife. And it's very difficult sometimes because we're both living in this if-then clause with our marriage. And we're keeping score, don't we guys? Don't we keep score? Yep, I took out the garbage. She didn't even have to ask me. Therefore, if, ipso facto, <laughs> she owes me one. See the progression with Leah? She's certain having Reuben will make Jacob love her. Did it? No. She says then, after Simeon is born, Simeon sounds like Herd because she says, at least God's heard I'm hated and he's given me another son and maybe that son will love me. I'll get love from that son. She doesn't say that here, but I think I'm adding to what's probably true. Then she has Levi. His name sounds like attached in Hebrew. So the tiny flicker of hope appears again when Levi is born because she says, maybe now my husband will be attached to me. Well, three sons will be enough for Leah to get Jacob's love, right? But it didn't happen. Finally, she gives birth to Judah. And I love this. His name sounds like praise and Leah says, this time, 
I'll praise the Lord. It's sad because she resigns herself to the fact that her husband will never love her. It's great because she realizes that the Lord loves her and she can praise the Lord. Regardless of how her thick-headed husband reacts towards her, she can praise the Lord. And she does. It's fitting, too, that if indeed that's what happened, it happens after Judah is born because he's the one who will carry on the line of David, the line of the Messiah. Now, Rachel may have been Jacob's favorite, and Joseph, Rachel's firstborn, will do great things for God, not to minimize Joseph at all. We're going to spend a lot of time on Joseph coming up soon. But it's through through Leah that our Savior will, will come. Her sons, Levi and Judah, are the fathers of the priestly and the kingly tribes of Israel. She could have, if she understood what was going on then, and she didn't at that time, she could have written these words spoken by Mary, the mother of Jesus. She could have said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. I think Leah's the humble one here. I think she's humble, and God has blessed her. But the birth war has only just begun. It's going to heat up because of man's efforts. The green-eyed monster enters stage left. You know what the green-eyed monster is, right? Rachel has it in spades. It is envy. She desperately wants children. And when we desperately want something... A lot of times we're willing to take matters into our own hands and make that thing happen. But first she says, no, I'm going to play my trump card first. And she commands Jacob to give her children. She commands him, you give me children or I will die. Now, this is really good because envy can do what? It twists our logic. (laughs) Her logic is not real good there. But it also can provoke others to react in anger. Because that's what happens here. Jacob says rightly that it is not him who gives or withholds children. It is God who gives or withholds children. But he says it and he reacts to his wife in anger. The Bible tells us that he was angry with Rachel. You know, one helpful hint heard in marriage counseling... You've probably heard this if you've ever done marriage counseling. Is that it's much better to respond than to react. Right? We usually react in the flesh. We respond more in a spiritual manner if we do it the way we're supposed to. What if Jacob had responded instead of reacting to Rachel? What, he, what, what would he have said? She said, you give me children or I will die. What if he first thought about what she said and why she said it? Right, that old adage, seek first to understand, not to be understood. What if she listened carefully and saw her and felt her emotions and thought about it? What if he would have seen her pain and acknowledged it as real? I can see you're hurting, Rachel. What if he had confirmed his love for you? I want you to know that with or without children, 
Honey, I love you. Absolutely I do. What if he'd even said, you know what? Let's pray about this. Did, did he ever offer to pray with and for his wife that she would be able to bear children? Maybe so. We don't know. We can't argue from silence. But that would have been a response, not a reaction. And I know this well because my tendency is usually to... What? Who said that? But instead of responding, you know what Rachel, what, what Jacob does? He gives a theology lesson. Men, you ever do that with your wife? Honey, let me explain the Bible to you, okay? Let me explain why. No, you know what Jacob was, like we are so often, he was theologically correct and relationally all wrong. And everybody said, ouch. So Rachel then, because her husband reacted the way she, he did, and this is not to blame Jacob for her next action. This is all on Rachel. But she goes and just takes matters into her own hands just like Sarah had done when the promised child was not coming and not coming and not coming and Sarah went to her servant and said, I want a baby, you make it happen. Rachel goes to her servant. Rachel gives, this is crazy. Rachel gives her servant to Jacob not just as a concubine but as a third wife. That's what the scripture says. As if Jacob did not have enough trouble with two, trying to keep them both happy and loved, and he was doing a very poor job of it. Three wives, listen, three wives and later four wives was not God's plan any more than two wives were God's plan. God does not smile on, condone, approve of polygamy. In the beginning, it was Adam and Eve, and a man shall leave his mother and father and mother and hold fast to his wife, one wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But once again, we see the grace and we see the mercy of God. Listen, aren't you glad God blesses his people not because of their wrong actions, their wrongdoing, but in spite of our wrongdoing? He blesses us. God gives Rachel two sons through her servant. She names the first one Dan. It sounds like judge because she recognizes that her barrenness is a judgment from God. And then she has another son through Bilhah, and she names this one Naphtali, which sounds like wrestling. And then incredibly, you can't make this up, she gloats after this birth. She says, I have wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. And you're going, bless Rachel's heart. Her struggle's not with, with Leah, it's with God. But even if it were with Leah, has she prevailed? I mean, do the math, people. Maybe math was different for Rachel, but she's not even close. The soap opera continues as Leah says, oh yeah, two can play this game. So she gives her servant to Jacob. As his fourth wife. Now listen, in that culture, if a woman gave her servant to her husband as a substitute for her so that her servant could become pregnant and have a baby, that baby would not belong to the servant. I know this is messed up, but it would belong to the woman who gave her servant to her husband. So that's why Rachel and Leah are claiming these babies through their servants as their own. 
well, count two more babies for Leah, Gad and Asher. She considers herself to have great fortune, Gad, good fortune. And she considers herself happy. At least, at least that's what women are saying. People are saying to her, oh, you, you're very happy. But was she? I don't think so. Well, after a brief commercial break, the soap opera takes an even more twisted turn, as soap operas do, I'm told. Certainly don't watch them. But Leah's oldest son, Reuben, he's probably six or seven years old, but he's out walking in the field. He, found, he finds some mandrakes. Anybody have an idea what a mandrake is? Anybody look that up this week? It's a flower. It's a perennial, and it's still around today. It's pretty. I'll show you a picture in a minute. But back in those days, it was considered a fertility-inducing flower. That was superstition then and not science. Same thing today. But Rachel gets these flowers from her... I mean, Leah gets these flowers from her son, uh, Reuben, and, and she, she takes them to Rachel and makes a trade. She said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you these mandrakes, and you, know, you might get pregnant if you, you know, if you make some tea out of these. I'll give you these mandrakes if you'll give me a night with Jacob. Incredibly, again, apparently the favorite wife had control over who bunked with Jacob. So the trade was in, and Rachel got the mandrakes, and Leah got Jacob. And the irony is that Rachel was not helped at all to conceive, but Leah, because she got a mandate, got pregnant. She conceives again, and Issachar, whose name sounds like wages, was born. She paid for that one. And then she has another child, Zebulun. In a final commentary, I think Zebulun displays the mixed heart of Leah. I don't think she has any hope, again, that her husband... Jacob will love her. But she says, God loves me. He's endowed me with a great endowment. And not only that, maybe at least Jacob will honor me. At least I'll have honor. He'll always think of me as the woman who gave him six, count them, six sons. And we know in that culture, sons were more valuable According, you know, in agrarian society, supposedly to women, has nothing to do with our culture today. But Dinah is not, you know, we don't know much about Dinah. We'll see her in a couple of chapters. But she, she felt like now at least I'll have honor, if not love. Well, that leads us to the third point: God's blessing. It brings back brings back memories from Genesis eight one when it says God remembered Noah. In Genesis 19.29, when God remembered Abraham and rescued right, Lot, here God remembers Rachel. She's been crying out and she's been strategizing, strategizing using strategery, as President Bush used to say. She's, she's tried everything, and finally God says, Okay, Rachel, I've heard your prayers. I've heard your cries. And he opens her womb. This is all of grace. God blesses his people and removes their approach even when they are, let's face it, unfaithful. Rachel had blamed Jacob for not being able to have children. Rachel had trusted her servant to give her what she wanted more than anything. Finally, Rachel had trusted in mandrakes and their magic power 
to help her get her heart's desire. There was never a mention in that passage at all of Rachel stopping and saying, now I will praise the Lord. If he chooses to give me children, praise God. If he chooses not to give me children, praise God. There's no mention of that. Did she pray? Did she praise? We don't know. Sometimes that's us, right? We try everything else. When everything else fails, then we try prayer. I love John Bunyan's quote here. He says, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Pray often, for prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. So Rachel bore her first son, and we know his name is Joseph. We'll look at him in a second for briefly, but it was probably 12 to 13 years after she was married. It took a long time, but God finally gave Rachel a son. And she named her Joseph. It has a double meaning. It literally means, may he add... And she's saying, hey, I got, I'm naming this son Joseph because, hey, God, will you give me another? But it also sounds like taken away, which I think there's a double entendre there. Uh, she was saying God is finally what? Taking away my reproach. But Joseph will also one day be taken away and escorted to Egypt, and we'll read about him soon. Elizabeth, interestingly, will say the same thing uh, years later when she was pregnant with John the Baptist. She says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So what do we learn from this story filled with strife and envy and sadness and joy and manipulation and competition? Namely this, the blessing of God is given by his divine will. Leah did not have what she wanted, the affection of her husband, but she was a woman of faith, I believe strong faith, who was blessed by God in childbirth. God, God, God even exalted her as the mother of the kingly tribe of Judah. Rachel had the affection of, the, of her husband, but she didn't have what she wanted. Children. Weaker in faith, I think, than Leah, it seems. Rachel tried to get what she desired by human means, sacrificing the spiritual for the worldly and the temporal. But God intervened for the favorite wife who seemed at first to be haughty and impatient and he gave her a son she then blessed God she finally learned that God's gifts are not gained by bargaining or scheming and instead she prayed for another and finally these two women with the help of their servants produced the nation of Israel the 12 tribes of Israel came from these four women God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick, as they say, right? He did for them, and he does the same for us. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning that we can learn from Rachel and Leah, the good and the bad and the ugly. Uh, Lord, because our lives often look like that, good one day, bad the next, and really ugly the next because of our lack of faith and our weakness and our sinfulness. Lord, but we're thankful that you're filled with grace and mercy, that you love your people, that you continually will bless your people and you will, you will shepherd us along to the end uh, because you love us. And Lord, help us as husbands and wives to love one another uh, without condition. 
Help us as sons and, and daughters to love our parents in the same way. Help us as church members to love one another in that way as well. And simply praise the Lord for the relationships that we have. Continue to bless your work, not just in this church, but your church universal around the world, that people might see and savor uh, Jesus Christ as Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.